Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from Cat Swamp Road in New Jersey. And as if you don't know that by now, but I always like to say that, or, or they, whoever they is, tell me that the proper protocol when you're doing a radio show or podcast is to announce yourself. And I could understand that because uh, if you don't announce yourself, if you happen to have a new listener, then uh, they don't know who you are, right? So that is what it's all about. So I have to follow the proper protocols out of protocol out of respect to those that may be listening for the first time, right? Or they catch something, and uh, so that is basically it. And uh, by God's grace, the audience always gr- seems to grow every week, and I'm very, very grateful and thankful to all of you for that. And I didn't check it recently, I guess the past month or two, but um, we were not, we were we were we were stuck like in ninety seven countries. And I say we because it's you also. It's not just me. All right, stuck in ninety seven countries, and then we got up the. It's, it's like uh, you know, like when you try when you're trying to reach a top speed in the car. It's like the speedometer is moving so slowly. Well, they got up to 97, I think, pretty quickly. Then, then it took a while to get up to 98, and then it got, took a while to get up to 99. So maybe we're at 100 countries right now. I really don't know. So uh, I'm just grateful for for uh, for anybody that listens to this guy. All right. So I want to thank you once again for tuning in and clicking in and uh, spending the next, uh, hopefully, as I always say, not much more than an hour. And let me see what I want to tell you. It is raining a little bit here today, and I have some CATSs with me here. And uh, hopefully they don't, uh, I have to spell their name because otherwise they're going to wake up. And uh, they like to chew the wires. They like to to, to chew on the expensive microphone, <laughs> what have you. So uh, they're a blessing, a blessing to my life. But I just need them to be quiet and and it, it's not even raining hard. It's like drizzling. And uh, I said, you're farm cats. What are you making such a big, a big deal about drizzle? So uh, when you don't want them to come in, they come in. When you don't, when you want them to come in, they, they, they won't come in for love of money. So let me see what else I wanted to share with you. And please reach out to me at Hot Rod Farmer, Farm Machinery Digest.com and share what's going on in, in your life. I am very, very interested in that to know what's going on in your life, in your farm, in your operation, whatever, whatever. I mean, it's not, I don't want it to be a one-way street. Then you think that I'm so pompous that, I, that I'm telling you about my life, all right, or what's happening here. I'm just as interested, or I'm probably, uh, I don't want to say just as interested, and I've said this before, I am very interested <clears throat> in, uh, in learning about your life and what's happening on your end. Uh, a, a, just a quick footnote for last week's show, if you happen to catch it, where I had the uh, oil-burning caddy, uh, 500 miles a quart, and the Valtra tractor with the uh, with the blown turbocharger, but, or let's say failed. I don't like to use the word blown, because it was really blown, meaning it blew apart like a grenade. So well, that did not happen. <coughs> Excuse me. But the gentleman with the caddy uh, who contacted me from uh, Hemmings Muscle Machines did listen to the podcast and did send me some more information that I did not know when I answered his letter. Not that it would have changed my response one way or another. 
It just would have closed the loop a little bit more. And uh, he had the Cadillac since new. It was a 2007. He bought in 2006 for his wife. And they always used Mobile One in it. And he went by the prescribed oil changes. It has an oil change monitor. And then he started to get more aggressive with the oil changes than what the monitor was saying. And he didn't give me any more information really about the driving style or, or what have you. Because it really does not have a lot of mileage. But he said it did seem to be a little bit on a user of oil from the beginning. And uh, and he was very, uh, he raises some cattle and he has an engineering background. He's like, I would assume that the gentleman is retired. He said he was an engineer for 42 years. I don't know in what capacity, I don't know in what discipline, not the word capacity. Within the engineering community, you would call it a discipline. You would call it a capacity. So I don't know whether he's electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, it could be a nuclear engineer. I have no idea. Down in Tennessee, right? They have. Uh, I know. I do. I have. I have a listener that uh, that uh, is a uh, works in uh, whatever that. I forgot that place where they did the atomic bomb in Tennessee. Uh, I should know the name, but I don't, right? <laughs> but but that's it. So anyway, so I told him to. So uh, he was really surprised that that the catalytic converter would burn off the oil to such a such a efficient extent i should say that he would not see any visible smoke and uh so he was surprised at that and he's going to research and get back to me and i said to him please you know, get back to me let me know what you find and uh, we'll go from there so if i hear do hear anything back from that gentleman over time it seems that he does not use the car much now so i can't expect that quick turnaround that he's going to run and jump under the hood tomorrow or right now but i'm sure that he will get, get after it from basically from his letter and from his background and uh, he does have a couple of collector cards but i did not print off his letter and uh, because what happened was that where i have my printer by my desk a dell printer dell computer would have you uh there's a window above it and to make a long story short it's a window that just folds out or comes out at an angle if, i don't know what you would call them and because um, my office is in the basement and then the other day charlotte was in the house and one of the c-a-t-s uh s-a-m-u-e-l was down here and with g-i-n-g-e-r and uh they decided to well there's a screen on the window but anyway somehow they got the window out of the track and it fell on down and crashed down and crashed down on the printer the, i think the printer works that there's no visibly broken parts in there but i didn't get a chance to to do a test print or just print something out and see what it does so that is that so that is why and i did not uh, take down all of it but that's the crux of it that's important to you as a listener and i also want to welcome aboard walkabout mother bins from south dakota and uh they became a sponsor of my bushels and cents segment and i they they're a sm i mean I, i'm not gonna say they're yeah they're a small company they're a mom and pop company so i said to them they wanted to do some advertising with the podcast and the radio show and what have you and i said to them um, actually uh i said the bushels and cents segment would give you the biggest bang for the buck and so they are coming on for a month so if you listen to bushels and cents then you will hear 
the little ad for um, walkabout mother bins. And what the mother bin is, is a, uh, is a portable infield storage system. So when you're going with your combine and your grain carts, you go, you have the combine empty into the grain carts, you bring the grain cart to the mother bin, you don't drag it through the field, you still have to keep it on the edge of the field or on the road. And then it has 4,000 bushels of storage in it. And then it has its own auger. And then your grain trucks come and fill off the mother bin. So what it basically does is uh, it uh, it opens up that bottleneck for you waiting for trucks to come in and what have you. So you basically have, have 4,000 bushels of storage while you're harvesting in the field. Not, you're not dragging this thing all over. So uh, I had said to them that... that I run the bushels and cents segment on RF, well, not RF, well, Rural Radio, Sirius XM. They run those throughout the day uh, and on there. And so I said that would be the best bet for them to get the most exposure in many different time slots and to a whole completely different audience. Yes, people who listen to my radio show, all right they also listen to they don't just put their te- the radio on at 11 a.m on saturday to hear me and then shut it back off so if they're in the, whatever they're doing they have rural radio on and as i said to them and you know because i'm a straight shooter i mean that's, i said everybody in the world doesn't listen to my radio show i've been blessed thank god with a very nice audience um and but everybody doesn't listen to my show nobody's show does everybody listen to and anybody tells you that they're a liar <laughs> so the thing is that i said you may have a person that that listens to uh, the rural evening news on the radio because they're they're not don't have the radio on during the day or whatever they're doing and so they'll hear your so and they'll hear your spot run in rotation it's not always going to run all in the same time slots i said so you will get the most exposure so the reason why i'm telling you is that if you are a listener of bushels and cents probably for the next four or five episodes of bushels and cents and maybe god willing more if they if they i would i would honestly i would tell them i'm a terrible businessman all right i mean i'm a terrible businessman because i want to take it's not that i want i want a business deal that that everybody is smiling gives gives a sponsor or a customer the best value and i do that in all aspects of my life i do more i spend more time unselling people even at the farm stand hey, you know if you're going away don't buy a dozen now you know buy six and, and then when you come back from the to your long weekend then you could stop on your way home and buy more don't buy a dozen now put it in the refrigerator so i do that in all aspects of my life because i just i i i, I want to be real i don't want just i i want somebody to get value for anything that they spend with me and uh so i even said to them look yeah would i love for you to to, to, to do it to do a deal 12 months out of you of course i would but you know let's try this let's see how it goes let's get the word out and then maybe come back in a month or two and then do something do something else or maybe go on the radio show or whatever we'll see what it is but i but if you do listen to bushels and cents and you do hear walk about mother bend then you could go to my website farmachinerydigest.com or just do an internet search for walk about mother bins and go to their website even though let me even if you're not it's it's for grain harvesters corn wheat soybeans sunflowers rice what have you all right even if you're raising cattle or you're raising chickens but you got to see this concept and they have some nice they have a couple of short videos up there and you got to just see the concept of this mother bin and it gives you something to talk about 
when you are having coffee with your buddies and who knows you may have a friend that is uh in the could could that so could use that type of technology so i do want to welcome them aboard i want to thank you for supporting them and going to their website and getting familiar with what they have and maybe uh like i said in the conversation of life maybe six months from now you're gonna meet the friend of yours some say oh i saw that mother been very very interesting interesting concept and the other thing <clears throat> i gotta find and maybe you could maybe you guys could help me with this i gotta find a chair that doesn't creak i mean it's unbelievable you know for years i worked in and worked in the office and I had different chairs and you don't pay attention when you're writing because i was writing i wasn't doing recording but this road microphone picks up everything and and uh when you're in the chair at this every chair i got creaked for a different reason brand new all right all from china it's a creaking from china and I, I tried taking them apart. I tried spraying with silicone. Tried to do everything, and, and it just, they just creak. So, if you hear creaking, I'm in the creaking chair. Uh, really, not. I'm in the less creaking chair because F A I T H is sleeping in the other one. And you know they say let sleeping dogs lie. Well, this is let sleeping C A T S lie. So that is it. And let me see what else I want to tell you hopefully god willing by the time you listen to this we're going to be in harvest i was blessed i got a wonderful report from the eye doctor the other day uh went to go get my second checkup i have to go back at the end of august i think august 31st for a third checkup and uh they said everything looks beautiful wonderful and they took off all my restrictions they said no do whatever you want <laughs> they said the, the only i said is there anything that i shouldn't do because i said i'm a farmer i gotta lift stuff and you know i, I, I got whatever said so the only thing i would they said the only thing i would say to you is don't get into a bar fight because you don't want somebody punching you in that eye but other than that do whatever you want and then i asked them i said because of who i am humbly i said you know i understand well the lens is part of the eye when when god made made man and made animals and he, he had the infinite wisdom to have a lens form on the eye and how that forms or how he gets it there i, I have no idea right? i don't think anybody knows i think uh, they just know that but that, that's the mystery of the lord i said but now you're cutting off this lens and you're putting an artificial lens on my eye i said how does that actually um how does that i said it's not going to grow it's artificial i said the eye isn't going to grow around it and they they said you know after all 30 years of doing this as you're the first person that asked us that and so i said well you know it's me right and the doctor said yes i know it's you so uh so actually and i'm probably gonna they told me the proper term but i don't they put little hooks on your eye when they make the incision and i get and the hooks are what hold the lens on so I said, "Oh, I said that's why you don't want to get into a bar fight." Somebody says, "If you, if some, if that doesn't happen, you could rub your eye, you could do whatever." It says the hooks will never come off. So I said, "I will die with those hooks." It says, "Yes, you will die with those hooks in your arm." That's how they do cataract surgery. So I said, "So what's the idea with the lifting, the ten pounds of lifting?" And they said, "It's only because of the incision that they make. They want to make sure that the incision is completely, completely healed." 
so that your blood pressure in the state used another term, but the strain doesn't come there and open the incision up. So, so I said to him, it'd be like having a cut on your finger and starting to grow together, and you do something, you hit it, you're working with a wrench, and you hit it, and you and you bust the cut back open. I said yes. So that all makes sense to me now, because I thought that the uh, lens was going to fall off. I mean, the way they said, don't. So anybody who is interested in that or has a loved one that is that is needing to get cataract surgery, then now you got the real deal here from Farm Machinery Digest Radio. All right. So what are we going to talk about today? I'm doing pretty good for me, 16 minutes in. But the only thing is that I need to get a drink of water in a few minutes. And I hid the water, all right, so that the CAT doesn't knock it over on my recording equipment. But the CAT is sleeping, so I may have to just put on the dragster for a minute and get the water. But if I could go without it, I will. <clears throat> so you know, I'm going to I'm going to tell you a story that I probably told you in some context before. But when I had my shop, we got involved with running a Mustang, and there was a uh, a drag race Mustang. That's all I like is drag racing. I don't like, I don't like some people like road racing. Went to a couple of events that absolutely did nothing for me. Uh, but anyway, I like the open road racing. Uh, I did that with my friend Gene, who was who a listener. And I, I often talk about him. We ran his Firebird out in Nevada in the open road race. It was called the Silver State Classic. And it still might be going on. But anyway, uh, but I'm a drag racer. And when I had my shop, we had a Mustang running out of it. And it was uh, in partners with another guy who owned the car, Bernie Golick. And uh, <clears throat> sadly, he passed away. He was older. And he was a service engineer for Ford. And uh, he a uh, real good guy. Um, quirky like all of us. <laughs> he had his quirks. But like I do, so, uh, but the good guy. And uh, anyway, so it was this little Mustang, Fox Buddy Mustang. And it was a, they had, it ran in the, uh, we ran in this Mustang Ford sanctioning body. We didn't run an NHRA, even though most of the rules were NHRA. But what it was, it was, it was in the Ford community. And I don't know, that was very big at the time, like 30 years ago, 28 years ago. So, uh, so we didn't run against, there were other events where you ran against other makes and just regular drag races. But we ran in this Pro 5.0 category. 10 and a half inch wide tire and uh it was uh, uh we ran in the power adder class but i don't even think they had a class well whatever i don't remember anymore so i was crew chief and doing everything with the car mechanically and what have you and we would do you know we ran the car out of my shop uh it was his car but i was partners and everything else with were quasi partners and i don't want to mislead you and say i had the title for the car i did not i did not want the title for the car and you know and it was a pretty fast car uh pretty quick car for the time talking back almost 30 years ago all right it, uh, i'm just giving you this background because it's a precursor to us to, to the show today not about bernie golick and the mustang and if anybody read um back then in the day muscle mustangs and fast forward he used to do the ask bernie column but anyway so it was uh, a nice little car it was real pretty. It was, a, it was a, like an 81 or maybe a 79, I don't remember. Uh, the Fox Bodies came out in 79. And it was probably in the early 80s, a couple of years into Fox Body. But at the time, we put 93 Cobra bodywork on it. 
and Ford had that orangey red for the Cobras in 93. So we painted, paint, it was painted like a beautiful, I mean, it was a beautiful car, no decals, nothing on it. I mean, clean as a whistle. That's why I love that clean look. Not gum out on a sticker and whatever, on a fender stickers, what have you. And the reason why people do that is because they get contingency money. So if you win a race, if you didn't know that I mentioned that on the show once before or twice before, that if you win some, if you win a race or in your class or something, and you have gum out sticker using picking on gum out on the, on some place on your card, and you go to the contingency booth. When you go to the track, they you go to the contingency booth and give you a whole a whole big envelope of stickers to put on your car. It does not mean that you're running that. You could never use gum out in your life. Maybe you use two plus two, or you could say Valvoline, and you use Castrol. So it means absolutely nothing, and that's the dirty little secret of racing, all right, and uh, specifically drag racing. What it says on the car does not necessarily necessarily mean what is in it. So anyway, so we never went off that contingency stuff. So it's all uh, uber clean car, I and mean, just really nice looking sharp car, and. Uh, had a 355 Ford. The motor was on a small side for everybody. We competed. Most guys were over 400 inches. And then they started to get some real big small block Fords, like 427 Fords, small block Fords, 421s. And they forgot how big. I think you could actually bore and stroke like a dark block to make it a 454 small block Ford or something near that big. But we were running a 355 Ford, which is a, a oddball combination. You say to somebody a 355 small block, they think of a small block Chevy, which would be a four inch or 30 over 403 ball with a 3.48 inch stroke. All right, comes to 355 cubic inches on an eight cylinder engine. You do the math. So this was a 355 Ford. It was a 302. A 302 Ford has a four inch bore already but has a, a shorter stroke i forgot i think it's 330 something uh, numbers elude me at the moment and so uh, we put a stroker crank and it was a cali's custom-made stroker crank and so it was a 348 stroke so it gave us 355 cubic inches and it had great cylinder heads it had yates nascar cylinder heads uh that actually we bought used from a nascar i forgot whose nascar team some big four team and uh, we had to do a lot of work on them, on the NAS, on the Yates heads, but they were beautiful heads. And um, we had to um, do a little bit of work on them. Uh, what I mean by work, we had to recontour the ports. And I think we epoxied and filled one of the ports to get a little bit more velocity because the engine was smaller than they ran a NASCAR or whatever. So I don't remember. But anyway, we did a lot of work on that. The heads flew. They they flowed like a dragon. Oh, my God, those things. You put them on the flow bench, you have to, uh, the manometer would drop like a rock. They were beautiful stone heads, beautiful, beautiful combustion chamber, great heads. And we had a Jessel valve train, a complete Jessel valve train, shaft rockers, a Jessel belt drive, Callie's crank, uh, they had Weisco person. I particular, I liked Weisco, but I think I like JE a little bit better for no particular reason. But had Weisco pistons, total seal rings, Oliver billet connecting rods. We had a Hogan sheet metal intake manifold on it with two Lincoln Mark Eight throttle bodies right behind in tandem, right behind one another, and uh, which was a progressive throttle body, which nobody used. Uh, I don't think it made that much of a difference, but bernie got him for free from ford so that's why they're on it and uh so it was really trick looking and then the pièce de resistance as they say which i failed french 
uh, is that we had three stages of nitrous on it. So it was a uh, it was a juice motor. It was low compression, like maybe it was just under thirteen to one because we were running a lot of spruce, a lot of spray on it, and that's the vernacular, that's the, the slang for nitrous spray, juice, whatever you want to call it, on the bottle. And uh, the motor made, I like I said, you, probably, you guys have heard this story before, but the motor made um, on John Meany's dyno at DFI in Michigan, Wicks in Michigan, across from the Lincoln plant. Uh, it made just about, I don't remember exactly. It didn't make 750, all right? It made like 740-something or 730-something on the dyno on motor. And then uh, we were spraying it three stages through a digital fuel injection system. And it was uh, it had about another 700 or 750 on spray. So we were putting a good amount of juice to it, and that's what I'm, I'm leading up to in this in this podcast today. So it was about, I, I it wasn't 1,500 horse with the juice on it, all right? So it was maybe like 1,480 or 1,440, who knows? I mean, it's, you know, like drag racers say, you know, how much you're spraying? So, well, if I won, I I'm sprayed enough. If I lost, I didn't spray enough. But the way we had that set up, and particularly back then, is that we sprayed the same amount of juice on every run so we weren't changing the, the they called the pills which is the orifice for the flow right we weren't changing that so it was a basically we'll say for easy arithmetic a, a 1500 horsepower motor on every run we weren't you know dialing back the juice or what have you on it so what had happened was that uh we ended up we we ended up going to Maple Grove, which is in Pennsylvania, and uh, we made one pass with it. And we, uh, uh, make a long story short, uh, the, the, the fuel pump was starting to go. It was a welding fuel pump, which is excellent fuel pump. And I don't know if I remember now if the fuel pump was going away. I think the ground was going away, not the fuel pump, all right, which I always beat you guys to death with ground circuits on your farm equipment, right? I remember correctly, I think the ground was starting to get corroded or go away, had a high impedance. So anyway, so what happened was that we made, you know, our first time trial. And uh, we used to do, we used to make a time trial, like one shot, one stage. We used to call them stages years ago. So three stages of nitrous. All right. Then they call them kits. They say, how many kits you're running, right? These guys are running out today, six kits, seven kits on a motor. We ran, would be qualified there as three kits because it's three stages but actually it was probably not the same probably like two kits two and a half kits but anyway i'm not gonna get you confused with that because i'm i'm going off on a tangent it brings you no intrinsic value so we go make a pass with it maybe about the eighth mile mark it's a quarter mile track so maybe that the 660 foot mark all right broom and <laughs> your nose is over a lot of smoke comes out of the back and that's it's all over. We took a ring land off the piston. So we burned the piston. So all right, we didn't even make one quarter mile pass and we burned the piston on it. So that means, you know, the motor's gotta come apart. Hopefully we and you know, you're hoping that you didn't hit the you know, that you didn't gouge the sidewall when you took the ring land off the piston. And in that particular instance, thank God we did not. 
all right so we need to just pull it apart clean it all up the home look great and uh put the you'll put the rings back on it put a new piston because when you buy custom pistons like that they always you always buy them in sets of 10 even though it's an eight cylinder so you always have two pistons laying around yeah we did not do that at the track we did it back at my shop we could have done it at the track but you were i wasn't getting involved with that so anyway so what had happened was that like i say now i remember it had the it, the welding fuel pump was not the problem the ground circuit on the welding fuel pump or the ground that that we had on the car because it was 12 volts in ground through a relay all right the ground was getting corroded in high impedance and that meant that the well that the fuel pump was not at its full flow capacity all right at, at its full flow capacity and then what happens is that when we put the juice on it and hit it with the juice maybe probably before the 660 all right um but anyway wherever it was then what happened is the 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 fuel pump could not supply enough fuel to match the nitrous we put in the motor because it's the air fuel ratio regardless and the egts went real high the motor leaned out and took a ring land off the piston okay so but I'm going to go back even even further and forget about the Mustang, all right? So, but before I go back, take-home message here is that do not forget about the grounds. And I have done this many shows and this and that. And don't, don't, don't roll your eyes. Oh, my God, you're going to talk about ground circuits again. Don't, don't neglect the ground circuits on all your equipment because, because something crazy could happen because of high impedance ground. Was the fuel pump running? Yes, it was running, but it was not running at the proper speed to supply the amount of fuel we needed. All right, so keep that in mind. Now you say, well, you had a fuel pressure gauge. Yeah, then that's what I'm going to talk about. So whenever you're looking at any, the fuel pressure gauge looked good when we left the line because it was on the hood. You could see it. All right, so whenever you're dealing with a with and basically it's hydraulics. When we think of hydraulics on the farm, or when we think of a, you know the, the the combine header lifting up, or uh, or the, the bucket going up in a tractor, or you're lifting up the planter into the transport mode, all right, or you got a uh, a skid steer and you're running something, you're running a, a mower on the skid steer or what have you, or a forestry mulcher, and you're thinking of hydraulics. But you have to realize any liquid that is a working fluid all right that is uh, automatic transmission works on the function of hydraulics brakes right what do they call it hydraulic brakes versus air brakes works on the function of hydraulics if you're a car collector you have an old 60s and probably into the mid 70s when they start thinking that well they stopped making convertibles for the most part in the united states around 1976 i think was the last year uh and that was because of the rollover standards but you had that top a lot of early convertibles top worked on hydraulics so the thing basically is a hydraulic system does not know what it's doing all right so that if, if you were to talk about this the, the pump yet or maybe the welding pump we had in a drag race car was meant to work with gasoline this in our case vp 110 i think it was 110 or 112 i work with gasoline all those other stuff all right the thing basically is but it doesn't know what it's moving all right and the dynamics yes different fluids have different chemical compositions and different dynamics but the whole idea 
of a pressure slash flow relationship is what I am going to, what I'm trying to establish to you for your farm equipment, for your cars, for your well pump, for anything, right? Well pump, pressure flow relationship, all right? Same thing. It's hydraulics, all right? We don't think of it that way, but it's hydraulics. It's the movement of a liquid under pressure. So now, let's go back. Forget, as I said, we're going to forget about the Mustang. The thing is that what I want to drill home to you guys is that you need to be very cognizant of pressure and flow and 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 pressure under load so specifically over the years i have fixed going back to the cars pickup trucks not farm equipment right fixed many many vehicles that had a lack of power complaint started beautifully idled beautifully drove away from a stoplight beautifully but had a lack of power complaint they were all fuel injected and i'll explain to you why in a minute a lack of power from my creaky chair a lack of power complaint or just real doggy right because what had happened was that the fuel pump for whatever reason all right that's not to be determined on this show whatever reason is that could not supply enough volume of fuel all right under a certain operating condition so when you have to go back to that scenario so let's say you have a uh, I remember a guy had a throttle body Oldsmobile 2.5 liter Cutlass Calais all right all right 90 horsepower on its best day all right so I'm, I'm and I'm using that as an example all right because it's it's it shows how it, it really drives home the message the car ran beautiful you get on the highway you go, it would it would it would convert gasoline into noise all right did hear you'd hear the throttle body sucking and the thing you release the throttle it'll be fine it won't stall all right you go to you want to go you want to go up a big hill go down the hill fine it was a flat land there's the light on the flats it went fine as long as you didn't romp on it and that car went around the gamut and that it, it basically uh they put a cattle they put a catalytic converter in which was a common thing not for those cars on carburetor cars the catalytic converters used to plug up anyway so to make a long story short the, and everybody was saying that the, the fuel pump is good the fuel pressure is good yes because what they basically did is they checked the fuel pressure at idle all right, they checked it on. No, I don't care whether it says your combine and diesel. I don't care whether it's your irrigation pump. I don't care whether it's your lawn tractor. I don't care what it is. But when you have a, when you're checking fuel pressure for a problem, I'm not saying that the thing runs fine. Then you so I'm just going to check the fuel pressure because the port is here. Now, when you're chasing a diagnostic problem, all right. But the thing is that you need to first check the fuel pressure. Well, let me put this, let's move back up. You have to check the fuel pressure under a number of different scenarios. So now, so you have to, depending upon the application, whether it's an electric fuel pump, that you have to check the fuel pressure. You have to turn the key on and let the fuel pump prime and see how quickly it builds pressure, okay? The next thing you have to do is start the engine, gasoline or diesel, all right? On a diesel, they call it a lift pump, right? On a gasoline, they just call it a fuel pump. And then you need to be able to go and then check the fuel pressure at idle. 
then you need to check the fuel pressure under different driving scenarios and then you need to check the fuel pressure the best you can under full load that is very important now full load on a street vehicle on a you know pickup truck car whatever does not mean you gotta go 100 miles an hour down the road all right but we'll get to that because if you have a race car you, you have to check the fuel pressure at the track but you don't have to go you could you could you could just get in the road and jump on it right now keep in mind though and this is where a lot of people and and you if you don't road test stuff and i don't care whether it's a farm tractor if you're doing everything and you don't check something that's give giving you a potential problem with that tractor and check it under a full load and under real life conditions you're basically you're 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 tinkling into the wind i'll use a nice word all right so the thing basically so you have to do that because what would happen and i'm going to go back to this oldsmobile all right what would happen is that it's that pressure flow relationship because remember a hydraulic a, a pump builds flow all pump does is they say when it's deadheaded so if you buy a sump pump to pump out your basement right god forbid it says 200 whatever i'm making up a number 200 gallons per minute 200, whatever it is well, probably not 200 gallons per, let's say whatever 200 gallons per hour right so the thing basically is that's open port flow that's under no pressure so that's just like and if you and the best way that i like to teach this is think of a garden hose if you put a garden hose and you have a well all right and you put a garden hose and you're running the garden hose and the spigot is fully open and there's no restrictor there's no there's no nozzle on it right then you are you're not building any pressure but you're flowing a lot of gallons of water and that's how you run your well dry all right so the thing is that so even if you look at like a center pivot irrigation system all right they're not it's not like a flood irrigation so they they're pumping a lot of water because they're big and they get a lot of length to them and a lot of i call them spray or whatever nozzles or jets or tips i don't know i should probably know what the proper term is i know a lot of you guys have center pivots all right so you would tell me what the proper term is uh the thing is that but they're actually a restriction so if you were to have the center pivot let's say you got a thousand foot long center pivot and you had no restriction on there and then you just had the well going in there an open 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 hose going like a flood well you're going to move it a, 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 a hundred x times more water right all right you're going to pump that well dry so the thing is that and you're just flooding everything so keep in mind is that that is the load gets on to something the load gets on what we're talking about an engine this Oldsmobile and the thing is that so what would happen is that as you first stepped on the throttle right on this Oldsmobile like I said it drove away beautifully cold started beautifully everything hot started beautifully then what would happen is that you look and that was a, a low a low a pressure system GM throttle bodies with 9 to 13 pounds with the nominal about 10 11 pounds right in the middle so we'll use that so it was 10 pounds all right and then when you stepped on the throttle all right and 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 you rolled into the throttle it would go nine and a half maybe then down to nine or whatever but it would still hold but when you really what the engine was straining trying to get rpm right to go up a hill that's when you would bleed the pressure off why because the injector was open longer 
all right if the injector is open longer if you have a a sprayer uh, a field sprayer right and you have tips on it right that are supposed to be 30 gallons per acre and you put tips on it that are 60 gallons per acre well they're not opening more because they're fixed but they are moving more product so you have this pressure flow relationship that often many people do not think about and i'm not saying that you go crazy that you go every day you do all these flow tests but it's very very important when you're looking at any hydraulic system hydraulics on a skid steer hydraulics on a on, on, on anything right I, and i keep throwing all these different things out because i know from being in the business that guys what only happens with a skid steer i got a problem with my combine i don't know heck with that hot rod farm i don't know what the hell he's talking about right so the thing basically is that uh is that you have to look at that and when you have a potential problem so let's say you have a hydraulic system right and you have and you have a whatever you have a a, a bucket on a on a loader and you're feeding cattle with it right and you say well i always pick up this bale this round bale and whatever you got speeders on it this bales whatever two thousand pounds and i pick it it goes nothing and now the thing is struggling all right so the thing is struggling but it does everything else fine up until it gets two thousand up to it could pick up a thousand pound bale usually making a story here with no problem but you put a two thousand pound bale and it goes up but doesn't seem to go up as fast as you so so the thing basically is you are having a hydraulic issue and then when it comes to a hydraulic system a true high hydraulic meaning oil hydraulic all right so on a farm tractor on a piece of construction equipment on a combine or what have you and i've said this before on the show I even did it in one of my christmas coffee what for my gift guides is that and and i'm going to say invest all right because you're spending your money and it's so easy to spend money when you're farming oh my god i mean i wish it was one tenth as easy to make money as it is to spend it it's a thousand times easier to spend it than to make it right but what you need to have in your toolbox if you're going to do any hydraulic work is you're going to need to have a proper test instrument that it's going to read pressure flow in gallons per minute gallons per hour whatever the metric is and they're usually a a, a selectable or liters per hour if you're up in canada or whatever specification is you're in europe we have listeners but you need to read pressure you need to read flow and you need to read the hydraulic temperature and they have these tools they're like a little console and i mean they're not big all right i'm granted they're not they're not inexpensive they're a couple of grand right for a decent one and could go up from there but you're going to be able to read this and you're going to have to get into the system and you're going to have to read this and say okay fine so now let's get back to the loader and you're going to feed your cows and you're lifting up this 2000 pound round bale so you're looking at the hydraulic pressure and you're saying well now what's happening is that the the uh the, the loader as is, is, is has a good flow good everything is nice beautiful i'm lifting up the thousand pound bed i'm trying to put this scenario together in my head that's why i'm stumbling over it and i'm going to mess it up so the thing is so now you go lift the 2000 and it's, it's going and now you see what's happening is the hydraulic flow is starting to go down 
all right? And if the hydraulic flow, like well, our Mustang, right? We burnt the piston, all right? Because we didn't have it, we had the, the, the hydraulic flow is going to impact what the pressure is in this particular point, the fuel pressure in the Mustang. And when I'm talking about the loader feeding cows, it is the, going to be the pressure in the hydraulic system. But now you also have to look at temperature. So you say, geez, you know, when I, when I'm, I'm looking at this and now I'm trying to lift this up over the pressure is dropping the flow is dropping you look at flow first because if the flow drops the pressure is going to drop I mean that's it I mean just like a tire right I mean the you put a hole in that the air is going to come out so if the sort of if the pressure starts to drop you you're confirming that your flow rate is dropping on the instrument but then you're also looking at your temperature so now you say, look at this. That well, I'm making up numbers. So let's say the hydraulic fluid was 100 degrees, before, you know, when it was when it was lifting the thousand pound bale. Now it's 200 degrees. And these are, like I said, I'm pulling numbers out of thin air here just to make it representative for you. So don't, you know, don't, you know, please don't put any value in those numbers. But that is going to tell you, possibly. Let me back up and say, that's going to be an inkling of saying well the, the the temperature is going up well why would the temperature go up if the flow is dropping and the pressure is dropping that is usually and just like you take a soil test or a pre-side dress nitrogen test or what have you it's an indicator test data is in most instances is an indicator until the thing is completely dead then it's not an indicator anymore it's it's actually real is that that's lots of times an indicator of cavitation because when you start to cavitate a high fluid gasoline diesel fuel whatever this particular instance hydraulic fluid then the thing is that the temperature is going to start to go up all right so now you say well geez i have a cavitation problem because what is happening is that the the temperature is going up now that's a general rule of thumb so so uh, you know so so please don't beat me to death with it but a pretty good ending when you're diagnosing something like i spoke about other shows all right you've got to look at all the data you can't throw data away sometimes you throw data away all right because you say okay what well the car doesn't want to start look it's got a flat tire and, I, and i'm picking on my wife again love her to death <laughs> love her to death i say honey the idea that it's got a flat tire has nothing to do with why it doesn't start. Okay, so uh, so but but you can't you know you can't throw stuff away. So the thing is that you keep it in the back of your mind. Say okay, fine, wow. Now historically, in most instances, rule of thumb, what do you want to say, is that if you're having a flow, a pressure drop, right, a flow restriction, and you're having fluid temperature increase right with a sharp ramp up not that you're holding level and you're killing the poor system right the thing is increased that is a pretty good indicator of cavitation as i started to say and that is historically usually not the pump historically okay because that could be suction side cavitation or pressure side cavitation all right so and when you have cavitation that means you have a restriction and you're restricting the line then people only think about pressure you have to think about suction too so if you have suction side cavitation on a pump all right the thing is that that you will restrict the flow 
because you're just like sucking, like taking a, 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 a straw into a glass of water, right? And you and you and you're closing it down. You're trying to suck, right? You're not getting the volume of water. So, so if you don't, if the temperature doesn't seem to ramp up, and like I said, don't you know? Don't beat me with this, please. The fact of the matter is, it's more of an indication of a failure in the pump. Or, or what have you, or regulator, or it could be voltage like we had with the Mustang, right? So the Mustang. Now also keep in mind, so the take-home message here is that when you have a problem, and I'll break it down to make it simple, when you have a drivability problem, and when the word drivability started in the auto industry, but it's broad-based, all right? It's going to be with agricultural equipment and everything. So if you have a problem, and you and you and you have an inkling for whatever reason that's a different show right inkling that it may be fuel related if you do not check the fuel pressure all right all right at least the fuel pressure all right on a fuel pump gasoline diesel lift pump you are fooling yourself all right you're shooting into the wind you're throwing darts with a blindfold on all right it doesn't necessarily mean the pump. I've had a lot of people contact me over the years with farm equipment that they would have whole they would have the, the pickup tube in the fuel tank would either have holes in it or fell or fell off or something, and they'd get down to a certain level of fuel in the tank. And then the engine would start to get lazy. You would start to do this because what you would do, you'd be aerating the fuel. You'd be sucking in because the pickup tube had a hole in it, a pickup hose. So there's a lot of things that are going on there. Don't normally think it's just the pump. It can be the pump. But if you're not feeding the pump anything, a, a proper flow and supposed to be a solid, they call it the bulk liquid or the bulk fluid. It should not be aerated. If it has a lot of aeration on the suction side, then that's usually not the pump's fault. I'm not gonna say it's impossible. Just like my my, I never saw. I you know I, I just want to readdress that because I think I misled you when I said when my Ranger when the belt tension blew up. I didn't mean the pulley didn't blow up. It wasn't like the bearing blew up. The whole thing blew up. The spring came shooting out of it. That the housing cracked. Everything blew up. So that so I just want I'm not if you happen to hear that show. But anyway, so the thing is that you want to have a, a it, it not you want to it's supposed to be a solid mass of fluid. All right, just like when you, in your arteries and you're in a person animal, you don't want what well, you see in the movies, right? But the people used to do they um, they they would go into the you know, they want to they want to murder this guy. He's in the hospital, some mafia guy, something. They go in there with a syringe in their pocket, dressed like an orderly, and they would shoot air into the guy's IV, and they put an air bubble in it, and then it would hit his heart and usually get a heart attack or die or a stroke or something, right? So the things that you want to have a solid mass of fluid. So keep that in mind. But when when you're dealing with an engine, a fuel system on an engine, you don't need to have a tool that reads flow for the most part and pressure and temperature, right? You need to read pressure and you need to read pressure under different operating scenarios to get the true indication because it's going to be knee-jerk reaction, all right? If the flow drops off, the pressure is going to drop off. But keep in mind that you're loading that tractor. Let's say if you, you have a, 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 a big, beautiful 600-horsepower tractor and you have a problem with the fuel, 
there's a, a failure starting with the fuel system. All right. And the thing is that, and this failure, all right, allows the fuel system, and I'm making up numbers again, to deliver enough fuel properly for 500 horsepower. That's what was happening with that Oldsmobile. Throw 90 horsepower motor, right? 500 horsepower. You push it to 525, 550, 600, then now the pressure starts to ramp off because it does not have enough to support it. So it's very, very important. Now, the next thing I want to say to you is that I recognize the fact, but it's a lot better right now than it was years ago with fuel systems, is that you will need to buy a, a, a good quality, not a harbor freight, all right, no disrespect to them, a good quality fuel pressure gauge based upon you may need two for the different operating pressures that your system has. If you have a common rail diesel, it's going to be a lot higher. But you're, but but what you're doing is that you're reading the pressure, even like on a common rail diesel, you're reading the pressure that's being fed from the lift pump into the, into the common rail or the injection pump or what have you, you're not going to be reading the 30,000 pounds. You're going to be reading the fuel delivery pressure, right? And on a gasoline engine, car, truck, pickup truck, whatever it is, you're going to be reading the fuel pressure on that. So now keep in mind, you know, keep in mind specifically, let's say with a carbureted engine. So you have an old grain truck, right? Where you get old Chevy grain truck with a with a quadrajet, and I probably didn't have quadrajet, probably had Hollies on it, but anyway, and you're going, and and uh, and and you're, you're 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 in first gear, you're in second gear, what have you? All right, the thing basically is, is that, and it's pulling good. Now you get into third gear, fourth gear, it's split, you know, uh, two speed rear, split shift, and whatever. You put a load on it, and the thing starts to starts to lay down. All right, all right. So now. Could that could be because it's a mechanical fuel pump, right? But the mechanical fuel pump may not be delivering enough fuel. Same dynamics of hydraulics happen. Now, keep in mind also in a scenario like that, sometimes, and we saw this with drag race cars, is that that if you had, it wasn't with the Mustang, with a carbureted drag race car, but, you know, I tell you these stories because I, I, I tr- I'm going to say trust I have an I have enough faith in you, and I mean that sincerely, to take a drag race story with something that's fun, fundamental like this. This is a fundamental show. It's hydraulics, fundamental, and say I remember that drag race story, and this combine header is is acting almost like that drag race engine that that's that jerky hot rod farmer told me about. All right, so things lots of times what would happen in a drag car is that you, on the, let's say, first gear, second gear, it would bang those shifts real quick, boom, 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 and then third gear, right, high gear, whatever it was, if it was three-speed transmission, if it was a power glide, two-speed, all right, is that the engine would be struggling because when it when it basically banged the gear, well, when the, when the shifts came very quickly, so in other words, the RPM of the engine would build very quickly in lower gears, and then in high gear, it would build slow slower, is that it had enough fuel in the carburetor bowl to to sustain the air fuel ratio because it was only there for a second. But once you got into high gear 
and you're at the 660 foot mark on the track and you're going to 1320 that's when the fuel pump started to come up the, the flow capacity started to, the restriction or the, the lack of flow is the better thing i should say but the same thing happens with your with your machinery same thing happens <clears throat> with your with your with your with your stuff on the farm so let's say let's get back to that metaphorical loader that's feeding cattle right so <coughs> you have a young guy on there and like i said i'm making up these stories but they're 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 technically they're correct all right so you have a young guy in there right and he goes he's going to lift up the bale and he pulls a lever all the way back well, he wants to lift the bale up real quickly right and then you go and then you lift up the bale and you're not that you don't jam you don't pull a lever all the way to you right you you lift up, up the bale slower well the amount of hydraulic fluid delivery to maintain because the amount of pressure that is required for that system to lift that 2000 pound bale is going to be the same but when you are slow with the stick and you're not building the not building the pressure as quickly you could have a weak system a weak flow system for whatever reason right and it's very functional so that is why you have to look at all different operating scenarios so let's put some closure to this all right you're going to need to get a set of fuel pressure gauges and adapters for your vehicles gasoline and diesel all right gasoline is you need to get and you're going to need to check when you have a problem i'm not you don't do this as preventive maintenance when you have a problem you're going to need to check the fuel pressure on starting on crank on starting on running and then under load different types of load all right where you're going to jump on it or you're going to build rpm sooner if it's a tractor if it's a combine all right you may go you may be going into a uh hey you got a bountiful you got you, the good lord bless you with the 400 bushel per acre corn all right so now that combine is working harvesting that corn a lot more than the guy down the road who's got 120 bushel per acre corn all right so when you have a scenario like this it's just like when and i guess the best analogy that i can make to you even if you haven't experienced it somebody you probably love or know experience it you may have a problem you may have some symptoms with your heart and the doctor gives you what they used to call a halter monitor to wear and it had a basically it was a data recorder we had those on from the auto industry for years right for 50 years ago all right so the thing basically is, is that you have this data recorder and they give you a button or something to push oh and you feel something press the button and it puts a mark on it all right but anyway and it would record this data of how your heart responded throughout your day all right when you go for a stress test on your heart whether it's chemical stress test which i've never had i had a physical stress test about 25 years ago so you go on a treadmill or something but anyway the thing is that that they're looking at it at only at that but but the halter monitor when you're wearing a halter, you're going about your day and you're seeing how your heart responds during your day during your day well, okay i'm lifting this up i'm doing this i'm climbing a set of stairs that cannot be replicated in a in the doctor's office that has to be real life and that's basically what i'm telling you is that if you have a hydraulic system problem with fuel you need to replicate the situation 
that is the problem is coming up that the motor is doggy it's this what have you all right and and you need to have the proper gauges and you need to have the proper set of adapters and most of the time what you will do on a road vehicle is that you will take the gauge and you will you will tape it to the outside of the windshield underneath the wiper blade you don't want to take a pressure gauge in the vehicle with you god forbid the hose bursts you don't want to get sprayed with gasoline and diesel fuel on a farm track they do the same thing you put it underneath the wiper blade you take some duct tape and put it up on there all right uh, so you could see it when you're in the field and you're draw and you're and you're running all of this all right you're not going to get that through your data stream you're not going to get that through anything all right so you need to you need to be able to check that when it so you need the proper gauge set there's a lot of beautiful gauge sets they have the most common adapters the good thing about it is that 90 i'll say 95 99 percent of the modern diesels tractor combine pickup truck right and the gasoline engines and vehicles have test ports on them so you need the proper adapter years ago lots of them didn't have test ports you have to plumb and they sell all these adapters and you have to break into the throttle then even like i told you that Oldsmobile throttle body system and gm's infinite wisdom they never put it they didn't put a test port on there so you have to buy this adapt this adapter and break into the system and put the gauge in series and that's why people didn't check it all right so become familiar with that it's a worthwhile investment is it a tool you're going to use every day no not at all and you're like the strategic air command used to say hey we're successful if we never fired a shot well if you never have to take that pressure gauge out and do that diagnostics then you are successful it's a tool it's like insurance or something that you don't want to use but if you have it if you do not check that fuel pressure on any engine under think of halter monitor going to a cardiologist then you are fooling yourself plain and simple fooling yourself okay and don't think it's just the pump that's why i told you the story about the mustang all right if it's electric pump or lift pump it could be the pump it could be a ground circuit it could be it could be a uh <clears throat> a cavitation it could be a pickup tube but at least you know that you are seeing all right you're saying hey this pressure is ramping down and you know on that type of system the pressure ramps down because the flow ramped down okay now let's get to real hydraulics hydraulic fluid on a tractor on a combine on a loader whatever it may be skid steer backhoe excavator whatever you have it doesn't know what it's operating you need to invest like i said it's easy to spend me it's very easy for me to spend your money but a tool like this for the for the for the true hydraulics i'm saying true hydraulics is that <clears throat> you could and i've said this before you could get together with a couple of like-minded friends and co-op this tool so let's say you buy a real good one for three grand all right so the thing basically so you get together with three, two other guys you say all right hey let's put a thousand bucks into this and we'll buy this tool where our farms are not far away from one another it's not something you're going to need every day none of you are going to need it every day and you say hey joe you got the hydraulic yeah you got the hydraulic that's the yeah okay can you bring it over oh my wife is going that way she'll stop by and she'll pick it up all right then you use it and you're not going to take it out of the toolbox every day but the fact of the matter is is i have a lot of people contact me and they wanted me to do an, a show on hydraulics and things like this but i said to them hydraulics is more than hydraulics on a backhoe all right hydraulics is every type of fluid 
So I, what I said to them, really, in all honesty, is that without the proper test instrument, all right, the thing is that the only way you're going to diagnose a hydraulic system has a blatant failure, whether it's a busted hose or a hose uh, uh, spraying off to the side, instead of some other word, spraying off to the side, all right, or, this, or you're just going to change parts. Because if you cannot diagnose, if it would be, it would be like me, anybody going to the doctor, all right, and then uh, and say, well, I don't know, maybe you got a heart problem, ah, maybe you got a cataract in your, I don't know what the hell's wrong. Look, you got a cataract, maybe you do, maybe you don't, and and you have to recognize that if and you know the people, God bless them, that contacted me over, over not recently, all right, they want to look for a magic pill. They want a, a magic pill. Oh no! Uh, you, how, how do I, you know? How do I tell it's this? How do I tell it's that? You're not going to be able to tell it's that. Just like like you looking at a soil test. You you get soil, right? You know, I take my soil samples. I put it in my hand. Oh, it feels nice. Oh, it's got a nice color. That's yeah. That's only one tenth of one percent. All right. Then what the heck do I need to send it to Midwest Labs? Do I just go on my hand? Oh, yeah, I need nitrogen. I can feel it on my hand. Do I need zinc? Oh, I think the boron is a little low. You can't. So if you're gonna, so you have to make a choice when it comes to working, and you have to make a business choice. And I'm not lambasting. I'm not trying to spend your money. That if if you have a lot of hydraulic equipment on your farm, which most farms do, that you have to make a choice in investing in the proper tool when you need it and then again what you're going to need to do with that is buy the common adapters and and if you talk to the company if it's a stand-up company they'll say okay i got john deere i got case or i got a or i'm in the construction i got a i got a backhoe here i got to say well these are historically the adapters you need in murphy's law being what it is the first time you go use it no matter how many adapters that you have you, you won't have the right one but god right but you're going to need to do that and i would say is that, and I don't blame you for not wanting to spend, you know, two, three thousand dollars on a tool and adapters that may sit in your toolbox for three years. Then again, a lot of this stuff you could co-op with a like-minded friends, right? And why I say like-minded, because if you want to take care of your equipment, take care of your tools like I do, you don't want somebody who's going to throw it around and leave it out in the rain and ride over it with tobacco, right? So like-minded friends. And you know the more and because and, and obviously within within you know um, a a a, de- a decent distance and uh, and uh, I mean you know to that cause it has nothing to do with drugs. Years ago, I told you a story. I'm going to start to end because it's oh, 65 minutes. Right, I had invested in a Tech One from General Motors, which was a General Motors issue only dealer issue, state of the art scanner, only for GM cars. Thing is fantastic. All right, you could not buy that. You, would, I mean, today you could find them used, but you, the public, could not buy that. I bought it to a guy I knew who had a Buick dealership. I helped them out. They said to him, "So I, I, I said to him, you know, Dicky, his name was Dick. He's called him Dicky. Dicky, I want to get a Tech One and everything. So anyway, so he ordered. I, he didn't even have one the dealership. He owned two dealerships. I when he used to call me Stars. Says Stars, you got that tour? You come down with. So what basically happened was that then the Tech One. I had the tech one and then got out of the business, kept the tech one, and I honestly don't know where it is right now. And I'll tell you right now, because my friend Bobby Ida, 
I turned him on to the tech one. I turned another friend on to the tech one. I turned my friend Gene on to the tech one. I don't have a GM car. I mean, I can't even use it. All right, but I wasn't getting rid of it. The thing is sweet. So what we would basically do, I'd say, so Gene would call me up and say, hey, I want to do something. You got the tech one? And I said, I think Bobby got it, right? So I so, so I'll call Bobby. Bobby will mail it to Gene. And then Gene will go and say, he's got the tech one. And then the other guy used to lend it to. All right, Dave, he says, you guys, no, the tech one's out in Nevada. All right, call up Gene and ask if he's done with it. He'll send it to you. All right, so the thing basically is, now granted, I'm not saying that you do this with equipment send it all around the United States. But you got a friend of yours that farms, a cousin, whatever, neighbor or whatever, country neighbor, even a guy 100 miles away. You're not going to need these tools all the time. But the take-home message here is that if you don't have the proper tools to diagnose this stuff, you're going to throw parts at it. And getting back to getting back to to uh, the, um, the, the Mustang, all right, Bernie said, oh, it's a pump, it's a pump. It's right. I said, Bernie, we got to check it, right? We got to check the vault. Oh, it's a pump. It's, I'm going to send it back to Weldon, all right? So he took the pump off the car, sent it back to Weldon. Weldon said there's nothing wrong with it. So uh, he paid money shipping. We lost. We didn't go to a couple of races. and made no difference whether we burned the motor up anyway at that particular point. But, but it wasn't the pump. It was the ground. So don't jump to conclusions, all right? But the thing is that in that particular instance, we knew that the fuel pressure was ramping down when we were under high nitrous load, nitrous oxide load. Of course, it would go into the injector. The injector was static. It was a big injector. It had a, you know, a lot of you know a lot of flow and then all we had to do was check we knew that it was that that right so it was it was three things it was either the vaulted supply it was either the ground or the pump internally was binding or something was happening so if you don't check the vaulted supply in the ground and that's another thing before i close i said i was going to close but I'm, i'm going long again and i don't know why farm companies don't do this and maybe somebody does and i'm not aware of it okay so i'm not aware of everything in the world so please tell me hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com all right and let me know what my issues what i don't understand and like i said may very well have be there all right so you know you got these big self you got the self-propelled sprayers today some of them I think they got, what, 60-foot booms out of 120-foot booms. They may be wrong. They got these huge booms, these big operations. I'm not talking like a Mickey Mouse guy like me. This big operation, right? And I am not aware of a pressure test port on the end of that boom, on the end of the run. Now, maybe there is on some of them, all right? So I may be 100% wrong, but I personally have not seen one. If it was, it was hidden. I didn't see it. And the fact of the matter is, is that when you're sitting in the cab of that sprayer and you have the pressure set or what have you, you have to. And, and even if if it's all done by a computer, you don't even know what it is, right? It says, okay, I, I typed in, I want this many gallons breaker. It's doing this whole thing. It's pulse width modulated. You got to be able to see what the pressure is at the end of the run, all right? 
and because the pressure that you're seeing at the beginning beginning of the run is, is meaningless till the end of the run that there's a restriction in the system if there's a flow restriction if there's a hose collapsing so the thing is that now correct me if i'm wrong i'm saying it again i don't know of any sprayer that basically allows you to check the pressure at the end of the booms maybe there is and i am wrong i have not seen it but if you're not checking that when you're doing your your spring deal and you know you got to check the pressure that spread to check that pressure throughout all right so the thing basically is is that you have to keep in mind all right and then you also the same thing happens on that you don't want you want your suction side not to aerate your product all right whatever you're spraying so like i say there's a lot of overlap here from a drag race car to a to a, a loader lifting a 2,000 pound round bale for uh, for to feed cows to a, a, a 83 ozambia with 90 horsepower and throttle body injection all right to everything in between because the hydraulic system the theory of moving fluid what basically the study is fluid dynamics all right yes there's different there's different aspects of it there's different there's there's different chemical compositions all right there's all those things but the hydraulic fluid all right it's a pressure flow relationship and if you cannot accurately confirm that pressure and flow easily you are throwing parts at it which is a lot like people do with electronics that's what i wanted to say is that just like they go oh i don't know it's got, it looks like it's got voltage i use a tesla let me throw a new module on it and i'm not saying that that is is it wrong yes is it a wrong decision after you check the voltage in the ground no because there is a theory in electronics replaced with a known good part because you could have something as a very complex circuit board but you have to confirm that you have power coming in and you have, a, you have to have a good ground coming out of it if you have power coming in and a good ground coming out of it then going to town and buying a new module xyz is the proper diagnostic routine because you checked pressure i mean you checked voltage and you checked ground so you could have a loose solder joint in something all right you could have a board that cracked in something all right that's very temperature sensitive but you don't go there first so it's like a doctor saying well i check this i check this you're going to need surgery you know so let's just go cut on first and then we'll cut in first so so please if you replaced some parts i'm not critiquing that's the proper thing i've done the same thing i've replaced parts but you have to check the voltage in the ground on electricity then you have to check the pressure the flow and in a true hydraulic system the temperature of the fluid under different operating states all right whether it's for an engine fuel pressure or hydraulic system different operating states for you to get a true picture of what is going on and if not you are guessing so i want to thank you so much for tuning in and i want you know at the hot rod farmer with the creaky chair is born for you the american farmer and rancher my beloved america you have a blessed day and hopefully god willing i can catch you next week bye bye